0: Hi, this is Tony Tolado, and this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how science fiction, horror, fantasy, and comics help us explore our humanity. And today, first of a series on the Arrowverse, and we go back to the very beginning, in season one of Arrow, from my coverage at the time at New York Comic-Con with the cast, and also their showrunner, Mark Guggenheim. Let's look back in the amazing Arrowverse starting with the one that kicked us off, Arrow. There's a new superhero in town in Arrow. I have the roundtables with the cast and also one of the executive producers recorded at New York Comic Con. Let's meet some of this dynamic new cast. Willa Holland plays Thea Queen, younger sister to Oliver Queen, who is the Arrow. She's appeared on The O.C., Gossip Girl, and in the films Legion and Straw Dogs. She relates her New York Comic Con experience.
1: We literally just got here. This is kind of like our, this is my second interview so far. We did one with MTV in the green room and haven't seen anything yet, but I'm quite excited. Because we did Fan Expo in Toronto and that was awesome. People were so very enthusiastic about it and just seeing all these amazing, enthusiastic fans of anything. Like, I mean, from Bane to to Star Wars, is just absolutely awesome to see the way they go out.
0: There's more sci-fi talk and the Arrowverse, episode one, in just a moment. One of the things that is unique about this series is the family aspect and the relationship between Thea and Oliver.
1: Oliver and Thea's relationship is a very dynamic one. Um, it was, in the beginning, uh, that's what what I can say, is in the beginning, you can tell from, I mean, almost from the pilot, but from the rest of it, um, their relationship before he passed, I mean, before he disappeared, was very strong. It was like, she was the only thing that kind of kept him grounded, not that he was grounded in any sense of the word, but probably the only thing that kind of kept him home, you know what I mean? For all sakes, he could have been living out in Europe in Ibiza, like just partying for the rest of his life, but he he had something that he wanted to be home for and that he cared about. And then when uh, he disappears and everything goes on and she loses the one thing that she really felt uh, a home to, she kind of tries to put herself into his shoes and refill what was missing not exactly in the best way for a teenager at a party and do all the crazy stuff that are older because he was already in his 20s when he was doing it, older brother was doing And then he comes back and sees how she is now and it's kind of like, I don't exactly appreciate the way that you're acting anymore, young lady. <laughs> so it's kind of like it's a little bit a layer of resentment on top of um, a lot of teenage angst between each other because he's no longer a teenager, he's very much an adult. But he's been gone so long that I feel like a part of him, although he's grown up, is missing a bit of this, uh, this childhood or teenage youth that he had. And I don't know if he necessarily wants it again, but he sees it continuously in Thea. And I don't know if it makes him happy or not, but he's, I know it brings something in.
0: Now, will Thea ever get drawn into the Arrows world?
1: We haven't gotten that far yet but I love for that to happen. <laughs> that's, that's that's all I can say about it as of now. I got nothing else other than that. I mean, I have no idea. They like to keep us in the dark. I mean, it's basically, like, each script we get is like almost like watching a new episode for me, you know what I mean? Like, I have no idea what's gonna happen in the next one. So eight days later, I get it, and then it's like, oh, God, oh my God, yes.
0: <laughs> what can you tell us about episode
1: two? Episode two, um, there's a lot of stuff going on in episode two. It's kind of a... I mean, episode one is is the revealing of everything, trying to, you know, make an understanding and putting a staples onto each character. And then episode two is kind of really describing their relationships and really just kind of putting out... Um, they're, they're now, like, what their lives are going to be like now for a while. Like, it's, it's just a, a little bit of a taste of, of how hard things are going to be. <laughs> it's not just going to be an easy snapback. Like, you don't come back from the dead for five years and everything just turns right back into normalcy. It's going to be a little bumpy road for maybe a while.
0: <laughs> now, when they're not shooting or, or off camera, have you picked up his bow and arrow and checked it out?
1: Off camera, not even, because most of the scenes that I have, I swear, I haven't even had a scene with Ollie where uh, he's in the uh, arrow costume. But I mean, I see him walking around in it all the time, but like, I've never forgotten to pick up that bow and go sling it. I mean, I've picked up the fake one and all that, but like, not, not the real one.
0: Is Thea going to be his sidekick or have her own storyline?
1: I mean, as of now, I still don't know. Um, I, I Up to this date, she's... Uh, up to this date, she's kind of like... A, she's still reliving the resentment. Um, and they're, they're working on their relationship. It's, it's a very dynamic struggle. And I think that's the one thing that I enjoy about the show. Everyone kind of gets... There's things that get pieced together, slowly but surely. But Oliver and Thea are going to have problems for a while. It's not going to be just like that. I mean, it's it's similar not in a romantic aspect, but to Laurel and Oliver. I mean, things are very rough at the moment. It's gonna take a while for things to go back to wherever they could be.
0: What's interesting, I think, is that it's, it looks like originally they had like almost like a friendship kind of relationship. And now he's come back, and he has to play the older brother a little bit, and that's going to strain the relationship.
1: Uh, A lot, yes. It's definitely going to strain.
0: Was that the way it was before, and what's going on
1: now? That's definitely a big thing in it. I mean, he was it's not that he wasn't the older brother before he left. I'm sure he was, uh, you know, very adamant, but just not as much. I'm sure he he didn't have the head that he has on his shoulders now, so he wasn't aware of everything that he is aware of now, and definitely not as protective as he would be now especially because at that time she wasn't as rambunctious and outgoing and as outlandish and unable to control as she is now um but so yeah now it's kind of like he's trying to to almost father her in a sense because her father like the father's gone and he's he's changed a lot but it's just a lot of resentments against him and and angst
0: I like sibling uh, relationships. It's going to be fun. It's going to be
1: sizzling for a while.
0: (laughs) Up next is Kate Cassidy, who plays Dinah Laurel Lance, whose sister was with Oliver when he was shipwrecked, but she was lost at sea. She's appeared in Taken with Liam Neeson, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, and the upcoming Fence Walker. What was really cool is uh, the, the scene in the pilot where he pretty much... You know, she's kind of going back to, to him a little bit. They're kind of reconnecting. And he pushes her away, but he has to because of who he is now. And I like that scene uh, and just the way you guys played it. Is that relationship obviously is going to go through a lot of different changes as the series progressed. Do you guys have a, an idea where it's going? Or, or you know, where are going to end up?
2: As far as, you know, Laurel and Oliver, obviously they have a lot of history together. I don't you never know what can happen. I have, you know, it's television. I feel like anything can happen. Um, in, in my mind, what I think will happen to me, Laurel and Oliver are, are like meant to be. Um, they were each other's first everything. And again, this is in in my brain. In my mind, the the writers may be like, actually, (laughs) you know, one episode I'll read and all of a sudden it'll totally change. But to this moment, it's how do you forgive someone for betraying you the way that he betrayed her and took her sister away? Um, I have sisters. If any man ever did that to me, (laughs) tell you something. uh, It certainly would not for me, uh, play out, I don't know if I'd be able to face that person again, but having said that, I think Laurel is very, and not to say like, well, she's very, very strong. It's not to say like me personally, I'm not, but I also, you know, the relationship between my sisters and I is far different than the relationship between Laurel and her sister who passed so I also again think like she he's the love of her life and they have a a huge history together with one another and I think she will find it in her heart to forgive him at some point it's just a matter of when I think that she's accepted it and it's been five years so some time has passed and she's been able to you know heal and um I don't know, it's something that I'm I'm certainly, I'm personally, like, interested in the relationship and where it's going to go, because I don't know if you come back from that. I don't know if you can come back from uh, losing a sibling to to an ex-lover or lover, you know. But I think it's really good, and... And I, again, I think it's really the relationship between the two of them. They had to have such a strong bond and such a huge history to, in my mind anyway, to be able to interact with one another and, and sort of continue this relationship.
0: Who addresses if her character is the moral voice of the series.
2: As an actor, I think it's all about building backstory. You know, I think it's all about reading a script, Um you know, script analysis and kind of dissecting it and figuring out why and how this person can be so morally strong and the reason behind it. Um, Having said that, I think it's all about how she grew up. I think she has a very—her father is is a cop, and, you know, I think he probably instilled in her a very— you know very high standards and and an enormous amount of integrity and she's trying to live up I feel like she's just trying to live up to that and do what she feels is right and the only reason she knows that is I feel like you know they were a middle-class family they didn't necessarily have a lot of money but the face-to-face or family part of her life Was so important, and it was a lot of it. I think has to do with her father, and Paul Blackthorne and I have sat down and had numerous conversations. Um, He's very much into let's talk backstory. Let's, he he's very uh, he likes detail, which I feel like as an actor is is the best thing you can have. You know, you want another actor to be like, let's talk about what happened after. Mom left, and when did Mom leave? And what happened before that? I think they were a very close family. I think Laurel, and after Sarah died, her sister, um, her mother was around for a bit, but then her mother left, and it and and the family it lives between Laurel and her father now. You know, Paul and myself have gone through numerous stories and scenarios and what music was playing during certain certain scenes that played out. And it's all about making it up and, and, and being able to believe it.
0: Will we see more about her father as the series moves on?
2: Definitely. You'll definitely see a huge... You know, you'll definitely get a sense of relationship between the two of them, and more so. You'll get history, you'll get relationship... Paul Blackthorne, again, I cannot say enough. He's such a fantastic actor. And as an actor, working with another actor, I totally appreciate everything he does. I feel like he, he wants to develop backstory. He wants to work on it. He wants to talk about things. And it makes scenes, he just brings it to life. It makes it more alive.
0: One of the reporters notices she's wearing a green arrow ring.
2: Um, it was actually given to me from
0: someone so, yeah. All right, thank,
2: you. thank you thank
0: you Sci-Fi Talk returns with more on Arrow Season 1 as I look at the Arrowverse here on Sci-Fi Talk up next is executive producer Mark Guggenheim who was one of the writers of the Green Lantern movie and wrote Green Lantern Emerald Nights he also executive produced Flash Forward and was one of the producers for No Ordinary Family he is congratulated on their opening ratings for the pilot.
3: Thank you, thank you. We are like super psyched. Uh, everyone, you know, it's weird. You you start the pilot process about a year out, um, and you're just. I mean, that's a long time to spend without any sort of audience feedback or, um, you know, sense of whether or not the show's gonna be a success or not. And it's it's hugely exciting. I mean, we're we're we were really blown away, and uh, it's you know it's the kind of thing that just allows you know it, it puts you know wind in your sails you know as you work these long hours and it allows you to you know keep keep going even though you're pretty sleep deprived um yeah. but it's it's awesome it's awesome and our crew is you know beyond overjoyed and uh that's also nice it's nice to see you know everyone's morale you know just getting a, it's it's fun to work on a hit
0: kudos for getting david nutter to direct the pilot and will he come back and who else is going to be stepping behind the camera
3: Oh, great question. Uh, we, we definitely, we've been talking to David about coming back for other episodes. Um, unfortunately, he booked two episodes back-to-back of Game of Thrones, uh, and their shooting schedule basically has him in Iceland for like six months. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the second David can come back, he, we absolutely want him back. Um, we also have uh, David Barrett, uh, Guy B. Um, I'm trying to go in order so I don't uh, miss anyone. Vince Miziano, Michael Schultz, uh, Ken Fink. John Dahl is shooting uh, episode uh, nine as we speak. Eagle Eagleson is doing episode 10. Uh, really, really, really talented uh, mix of directors. John Baring uh, directed episode six. Um, completely blew the doors off of it. I mean, really very talented guys. And um, one of the challenges you know, that David Nutter sort of left for everyone following in his footsteps is the production values of the pilot are, I think, they're really, really high, and one thing that we were very conscious of, and you guys know, because I keep talking about this, because I'm very obviously I'm very like uh, sensitive about it. Is you know you, when you've got you know ten million dollars and sixteen days to shoot a pilot, you know, and you have David Nutter shooting, it should look good. Um, How does it look, you know, from a production value standpoint? when you have a lot less time and a lot less money. Um, But one of the things David did was assemble a remarkable, remarkable crew, uh, including Glenn Winter, who uh, was the director of photography on the pilot and has come back to be the director of photography for the series. Uh, And he's sort of, you know, David's custodian of the look that he established. Um, And, you know, we were very, very fortunate to have, I think, I would say like 80 to 90% of the crew from the pilot back For uh, the series, and that's just been a wonderful, wonderful thing in terms of institutional memory and, you know, everyone knowing how, you know, how we did it the first time. We keep replicating that on a weekly basis. Which episode
0: coming up are you really excited for the fans to see?
3: You know, it's funny. The other day we were ranking the episodes in the writer's room. Um, And it's so interesting because everyone, you know, everyone has different, uh, you know, different favorites. I don't want to be a wimp and, and give you like three different episodes, but I, I will say I'll say this: like episode five is interesting um, to in, in terms of especially your question, which is episode five is like probably our most emotional sort of character-based episode, but it also has Deathstroke in it, um, so it's that huge you know kick-ass you know fan base factor. You know we we talk a lot about like uh, the secret sauce of the show is appealing to the die-hard fans as well as, you know, the people who typically wouldn't watch uh, a superhero show. Um, and I think Five is a great example of, of, you know, it never feels schizophrenic, but it provides, you know, um, great stuff for both of those categories of, of audience members. Um, so it's, it's hard to pick among your children, but that's, you know, to, to you know, answer your question probably is a, a, good, a, good, a good enough answer.
0: Can you tell us which villains may show, and does Oliver's mother figure into that?
3: Well, you know, the thing that we told Susanna when uh, we met with her to be on the show is we said, look, you know, the thing about Moira is she's got a lot more dimensionality to her than that very last scene in the pilot. And it's not about, for us, it's not about resolving that storyline so much as it is twisting it and then twisting it and then twisting it again. um, Because, you know, I was actually talking to Susanna uh, last night. She, she called me from set, and she was asking me, like, okay, I'm about, you know, to do this scene, and I, it really would help to know where, you know, my character is coming from and where she's going. And I sort of took her through the the meta plot of the first season, and she was like, oh, wow, that's this is, like, so much more complex. Uh, you know, not complicated, but complex and nuanced than I had ever thought. I'm like, yeah, it keeps getting, you know... It, she's, she's the most nuanced character, uh, I think, on the show because of the position that she's in and the choices that she's had to make and you know uh, one of my favorite sayings is the the villain is the hero of their own story um and you know sort of it's very very true in real life like no one thinks of themselves as a bad guy Um, everyone's got their reasons for doing things and i think one of the more interesting things about moira's character is you say, like, is she a big bad? Well, that's very much in the eye of the beholder. Um, and we'll get a chance, you know, hopefully you'll tune in in, you know, one episode and you'll go, oh, my God, she's absolutely the big bad. And then you'll tune in the, ep- in the next episode and go, oh, wait a minute, maybe I misjudged her uh, and keep twisting it and twisting it, because I think that's one of the fun aspects of her character.
0: Which DC characters could be brought in? And was there a concern as to who, since it was done before in Smallville and you don't want to repeat yourself?
3: Uh, no, I think I think if, you know, for us, well, first of all, if, if you, you know, if we were to sort of think along those lines, we probably wouldn't have done Green Arrow, you know. Um, I, I think for us, the uh, the approach is always, we always start off with, what's, what's Oliver going through this week? What storyline in terms of, you know, the crime story uh, can we tell that will reflect that character arc, that emotional journey? And then we really, like, The supervillain of the week, the DC character, um, that's like the very last thing we think about. It's always designed to come out organically, as opposed to oh, let's tell the you know let's let's do Deadshot this week and then back ourselves into it. Deadshot comes last. Um, You know, episode three, which is when Deadshot first appears, it's all about you know can Oliver complete his mission alone. You know, he he came back from the island. He always planned on, you know, being this lone gunman, which is why this episode is called Lone Gunman. Um, And, uh, you know, he, you know, discovers whether or not that's true. As it so happens, Deadshot worked for that storyline because Deadshot also operates alone and is sort of the, you know, a darker version of of the marksman that Oliver is. So, it, it, you know, it, it's that gives a good example of of sort of how we back ourselves into the DC, you know, DC villains. There's enough DC characters, to um, to be able to have that approach. You know, the, and that way, the cart never drags the horse.
0: As far as the tone, was it very clear the tone you wanted to set for this series? Always
3: always in fact that was the very first thing when we walked into warner brothers when we walked into the cw that was the very first thing we made clear was like this is a grounded dark tone like the end of the second act of the pilot where oliver you know breaks the guys back um that was that was part of the pitch from day one in fact that's sort of how we started the pitch was um this is going to happen um and everyone was on board with it we we live in a you know, a much more sort of, I think, cynical, you know, sort of harder-edge time, and it required, you know, a harder-edge kind of hero uh, and a harder-edge kind of tone.
0: Can you keep up the action pace of the pilot?
3: I, actually, you know, I, thank you, by the way, for asking, because you know this is a, my favorite question, um, because it's, it's I can, I can answer it uh, so definitively. I actually think the action in the series is even stronger, um, because we have, you know, we have an incredible stunt team, and they keep upping their game. And, and they've almost had to because you, you know you run out of tricks one episode. You got to come up with new tricks in the next episode. So there's honestly there are action sequences that are coming up that I think dwarf the pilot. Um, you know it, pretty significantly. Uh, you know we you know if you sort of think about it, yes there's more time and more money on the pilot, but there's also less experience. And uh, give me give me more experience and less time and less money, and I'll I'll give you something better. I love the mask, the <laughs> spray painted mask. Oh that was good, that was cool. Thank, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> we we keep. T- I I was on the set and I I like just tried to hang from the Simon ladder. I'm like,
2: <laughs> I'm like you can't even do a pull up. That's like, amazing.
3: I was like, well, I, I can do a pull up, but I was like, we. Were, I actually my first thought was we are bad producers. We never should have let him do that. <laughs> because is that, was that him? That's him. That's him. Oh yeah, that's him. And, uh, really quick, take- like uh, we'd send him up early to Vancouver to do tra- you know physical training he sent us this video like oh look what i did today and we're like that's going in the show um and it's it's awesome that you know we keep trying to also give him other stuff to do um cool girls will love it yeah
2: that's we're shameless guys like that too
3: it's superhero
0: because we can't do it i certainly can't do it and finally in the title dual role of oliver queen and arrow is Stephen amell Who's appeared on private practice with Tim Daly, who also voices Superman. I might add, on the animated series and also the series Heartland. How you doing,
4: man? Well, how you doing? Good. Good. Nice. Yeah, that was uh, that was my rookie in San Diego. I know. You know what? I was uh, I went when I was in Comic Con. I went to the season premiere of Breaking Bad. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. I got uh, I got introduced to Aaron Paul. Introduced me to Bryan Cranston. Nice. And he looks at me and he goes you, right? <laughs> yes, Brian Cranston.
0: And he did, the, he did the voice of Commissioner Gordon in, uh, in a, one of the animated Batman. Years. Is
4: that true? He did, yeah. Batman year one. So so Green Arrow is going to be featured in a video game that's coming out soon? Yes. Yes. And I fully emailed Jeff Johns. I'm like, like, uh, can I get in on this, please? <laughs> He's like, uh... I'll make some calls. Make put it out there, please.
0: Was there a recent moment when you thought, hey, this is a really
4: cool sandbox to play in? The show <laughs> I've got a Ducati on the show. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty that like that's pretty cool. You get, you take it home?
3: That's the now
4: you know what though? Um, the the guy that does the stunt driving for it, because they won't let me. Um, bought the bike and then now rents it to the show smart move because i and i definitely we had a sequence where i hop off the bike at the beginning of episode seven the beginning of episode seven has an action sequence that does not need one bit of special effects it's awesome and uh i definitely hopped off the bike and it and it it fell and i felt awful
0: he talks about the exercise bar sequence in the pilot
4: when i auditioned for the part i i told these guys i'm like i want to do something physical and i don't want to do this while everything still works you know i it's uh um i don't have any superpowers so it was important to me to be believable as a guy that could fight crime and could go after bad guys and could snap a guy's neck just by tensing up so um yeah, we and the the exercise sequences we have a good one in two, we have a good one in three, and then we just rewrite stuff in eight, and it's we have an exercise sequence that is almost meant to um, not simplify uh, marginalize the one in the first episode.
0: What about the series pace? He has
4: more on that. The show is manic in subsequent episodes. Episode two is episode two is manic and um, I feel like we are advancing our story really well but that we're also doing it responsibly you know there hasn't been anything posed in the show right now that we haven't addressed Um, we don't uh, and and the other thing that I that I really enjoy is that while there are twists along the way they all make sense and at no point are you going that's a twist just for the sake of it being a twist I mean, we saw what happened with my mother at the end of the first episode. That wasn't there for shock value. That was there for a reason. And it's something that we address. Um, you know, we don't do anything on the show that we don't pay off later. We show the Deathstroke mask at the beginning of the pilot. Deathstroke's on his way. And uh, I-, I like that. I-, I like that aspect of our storytelling. But yeah, we're in episode two and three and four it's a bit of a reset in five. It's a little bit of a different type of episode, but those first four episodes are manic. They're all like the pilot. What's interesting is he not only came back from the island with physical scars,
0: but he has some mental ones, and he's kind of dealing with that. Yeah. So there's a lot of room to evolve this
4: guy and to become more of a hero, because he does, right now, is dealing with a darker side. Oliver and the pilot is very centered. Immediately in the second episode, we see angry Arrow. You know, When he speaks with Adam Hunt, he's very centered. You're going to do this or I'm going to do that. In episode two, he goes after a guy because it becomes personal for him. And the other thing that's interesting for me right now is we are seeing the deconstruction of Oliver Queen on the island. He goes there as one thing and he just gets broken down to nothing. And uh, that's so fun to play.
0: And will Arrow continue on the vigilante path?
4: Very soon he's going to start to, um... Detective Lance is after him. But they're both after the same thing. So their paths will cross. Soon. Could
0: Oliver ever hang up the arrow suit and just walk away someday?
4: Well, he's got a... He has a mission. So if he accomplishes it, he doesn't want to do this, he has to. Like, it's a pro- he made a promise to his father. You know, if he could... You know, retire into the country, probably with Laurel. I think that he would, but uh, he's nowhere close to doing that now.
2: Thank you, thanks everybody.
3: guys. Blessed,
1: Thank Good.
3: you, thanks
0: guys. Thank you, man. Special thanks to the CW and New York Comic Con. Really amazing to look back on that. Every month, I'll have a new episode featuring the each series based on when they appeared. Until the very next Sci-Fi Talk, and stay tuned for more on the Arrowverse. Future episodes, this is Tony Tilato.